0: Good morning and welcome to Backchat. I'm Jim Gould and your guest presenter is Car Ha. Good morning, Car.
1: Good morning, Jim.
0: On today's programme, we're talking about issues of free speech, fact-checking and misinformation surrounding events unfolding in Israel and Gaza. From social media companies accused of favouring particular accounts to news organisations subject to criticism from both sides, the conflict is considered to be among the most polarising of our times. And while rigorously checking the facts can serve as a barrier against misinformation, the prevalence of social media and what's uh, criticised as a lack of control on certain platforms makes the quest for certitude harder. What extra challenges uh, does this present for respected mainstream media? Have uh, emotions trumped rationality? And how hard is it to present an objective truth? We'll be introducing our guests in just a moment. And you can also let us know what you think. You can leave a message on our Facebook page, Backchat on RTHK Radio 3. You can email us at backchat at rthk.hk or call us on 233 266 That's 233 88 And after 9.45, we'll be hearing more about the Asian Paragames in Hangzhou. <laughs> Uh, with us now for the main part of this morning's uh, discussion, we have with us uh, Eric Wishart, who's uh, standards and ethics editor with the uh, news agency Agence France Presse, and um, also on the line uh, James Dorsey, who's uh, adjunct uh, senior fellow at the S Rajaratnam School of International Studies at Nanyang Technological University, that's in Singapore, and also on the line uh, Florence Serban, uh, lecturer with the Department of Communication Studies at the Baptist University. Uh, Good morning to you all. Perhaps, um, Eric Wishart, uh, we can start with you. So what are the main challenges that uh, your organisation has faced uh, since the eruption of this conflict? AFP, of course, for our listeners who don't know, being uh, one of the world's uh, uh, biggest uh, news agencies, you supply news to uh, uh, other uh, mainstream media. So what's it been like? Well,
2: the biggest challenge has been uh, the safety of our journalists, uh, which is always the same um, top priority in a a war situation. Um, Both the physical and mental uh, health uh, aspects. And um, we had a reporter with two photo and video journalists wounded in South Lebanon quite early on in the war when there was shelling of a... Of a group of journalists, in which a Reuters journalist was killed, so um, that was a immediate reminder of the dangers. Situation in Gaza is very bad. We we have Palestinian journalists there who who evacuated down to Rafa, but they're under um, shelling there. They have their family members. Uh, One of the photographers lost a couple of family members yesterday the day before. So, um, the physical dangers are are quite extreme, and obviously, journalists down in South South Israel, where there's still um, a lot of tension, a lot of fighting. There's really shelling Gaza. Um, So, it's... um, it's 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 a dangerous coverage, um, and there's also a big mental health issue. Um, we do have a company which gives mental health um, counselling online, but um, I don't know. I mean, if you see the un un unfiltered. Um, Coverage by our own and other journalists of what happened in Israel and what is happening mm-hmm. in Gaza It's absolutely horrific. Mm-hmm. So so yeah. then you're in the realms of what we call visceral trauma, which is PTSD having nightmares mm-hmm. um, All these classic symptoms and of course the fact that so many children on both sides have, have died is, is adds another layer to it So so for us the, the immediate top priority before we
0: get into the actual coverage is physical and mental health. Yeah, Sure. In terms uh, of the uh, coverage, though, in terms of uh, um, presenting an <clears throat> accurate picture, um, I know for AFP, fact-checking uh, is a major part of your operation. You have about 140 journalists yes. working, just w- working in fact-checking at mm-hmm. any one time around the world. Um, um, in a conflict such as this, where um, social media does play uh, such a large part, and, and, and a lot of it is frankly not... Very well regulated. Uh, what, um, I mean, w- w- what sort of extra ch- challenges does that present for you?
2: I think the sheer scale of the disinformation and misinformation mm. in this conflict has caught maybe not everybody surprised, but it's, it's, it's striking. Um, actually, AFP did a story a couple of days ago, but all the other, you know, Reuters, AP, all the other, excuse <clears> me, <throat> agencies have as well. It's just the scale of this. And a lot of people are pointing fingers at Elon Musk and, and Twitter now called X, mm. which um, not only did they, they change the old verified checkmark system where if you had a blue checkmark against your name, you you were Jim Gould from RTHK, okay? Mm. Uh, they changed the uh, system that you can just buy your blue or gold checkmark, basically. So there are a lot of accounts pretending to be legitimate accounts that aren't. Mm and also they they've they just decimated their 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 moderation teams, so x has become a real um, i mean you would call it a disinformation fire hose it's just flooded with this disinformation and um and quite a lot of um, hamas was banned from quite a lot of the social media channels but they're using telegram to get their, their propaganda videos out and a lot of that material is then ending up on 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 x so um i mean not only is there the usual challenge of disinformation misinformation that you get in a conflict it's just that the volume has grown exponentially
1: and mm. um, apart from the blue badge, like on Twitter X, I mean, and also like on Instagram, they are like, now we can actually buy the brew badge, right? Yeah. And then, but also uh, X from a Twitter, they are now having a function called uh, community note, so it's like if uh, the audience or user suspect about the content and then we can fold or mm-hmm. share our evidence to prove if it is right or wrong, do you think it is like Actually, helping to do the fact checking.
2: The problem is that I mean, how many people read these community notes? They're just sh- seeing mm. what they're, you know, they just see the post and they share it. So, oh. I, I know Twitter uh, talks about their community notes system, but I mean, it doesn't replace the the previous system of of actually having it heavily moderated. I just one one interesting thing though, I think, just as a sort of side. Point is that we were talking a lot about artificial intelligence and how artificial intelligence would um, create even more fake content online. And looking at what is being shared and spread, it's just the old-style disinformation techniques, um, manipulated or out-of-context videos, videos from conflicts in Ukraine and elsewhere being recycled as... As evidence of atrocities by both sides, so uh, it's the same to me. Je- it's basically the same techniques, but on a on a on a bigger scale. Mm. Okay, well, and it's let's... also sorry, Jim, to interrupt yep. you, but it's also monetized because, oh. you know, if 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 you have a viral video an X, it's, you you know you generate revenue. So there's an interest. The more extreme. Uh, content you can post before it gets taken down the more shares you get the more money you get so there's a
0: there's a financial not just a political uh motive to this yeah. okay uh, let's bring our in our other guests uh um uh serban at first from the baptist you good morning to you
3: good morning good morning
0: I, I know you you've done a lot of studies into social media talking about uh, x there formerly twitter so uh the uh content uh Moderation function has been um, uh, scaled back uh, somewhat. Um, um, How much of a problem is this, do you think?
3: Indeed, I think it's a huge problem, right? Because uh, we are expecting from these social uh, media platforms not only to host content right but also have uh, also to have a moderating uh, function. And right now with uh, the recent cuts we have seen in the tech uh, uh, industry, not only um, uh, X uh, but also other social media platforms have started to uh, to cut uh, back on um, uh, the people who are doing this uh, moderation. So I think it's a huge problem and uh, as Mr. Wishart said earlier, We go back to 2016, right, when uh, before the U.S. elections, there were a lot of uh, imitating accounts, and those accounts were just monetizing content, and you would see the owners uh, popping up in different places around the world, such as uh, Macedonia, right, that normally wouldn't have a dog in the fight in what happens in the U.S. uh, presidential elections, but uh, there were citizens, regular citizens, who were uh, uh, making a lot of money just by spreading this kind of uh, disinformation. So definitely, it is a major problem, and I think... We can also talk a bit later about our expectations as an audience, as the public, uh, to go on these social media platforms and to really get verified, accurate information. I think mm-hmm. it's a stretch. I don't mm-hmm. think it's a place for that. Yeah.
0: Mm. Um, uh, James Dorsey, good morning to you. Good morning. Thanks for joining us from uh, Nanyang Technological University in Singapore. I know uh, uh, you yourself have a, a lot of experience of the Middle East. Um, it's go- going back about 10 years to the Arab Spring, so uh, uh, Twitter, as it then was, played quite an important function in, uh, in uh, spreading uh, information and so on, didn't it? Um, um, how do you see the differences then between then and now?
4: Uh, allow me to take a step back and also pick up on uh, some things that my colleague said. Um, I, th- I think what you're seeing with the Gaza war is a serious aggravation of issues that the media confront in generally in, in conflict situations. Um, picking up on, on the safety issue, it's cyclical. I come from a generation of journalists that went out to conflict unprepared, uh, came back from conflict, uh, were expected to function normally, and the next day they go to the next conflict. And that the rupture point in that was really the Bosnian War, which at the mm. time was the war with the highest number of casualties in, uh, uh, in the, on the battlefield of journalists. And that led in 2000 to a uh, meeting in Beirut of senior, uh, senior media figures to draw up a code of conduct, which the media actually adhered to for a period of time. And then it got lax, which included, for example, um, ensuring that whoever went out to a conflict had a SAS sort of training, with other words, Understood first aid, understood landmines, understood uh, uh, defensive driving, all of these kind of things, but also ensured that, very much like uh, soldiers coming back from a from a from a battle, are given um, uh, psychological c- uh, counselling. That journalists were entitled to the same thing. And finally, one of the other major elements was ensuring that a journalist had a free decision on whether or not he or she wanted to uh, shoulder the risk of covering a a conflict without being uh, penalized in their their careers. Mm. Um, Part of the problem also, I think, is which is a much more general problem, and again, uh, Eric can probably speak to this better than I can, but nonetheless, is polarization as such. So you're subject much more to pressures from uh, segments of the audience, uh, threats, uh, character, character defamation, which obviously is enabled by social media. I think the problem with the Gaza war, of course, is, and, and that really is what aggravates the polarization. This is a war that fundamentally is driven by human beings' worst instincts: fear, um, anger, despair, uh, you know, a, de- a-, a-, a <clears> desire <throat> for vengeance, <clears throat> and and that that makes the environment in which you, as a journalist, report on what you see and what and again that's uh, granted it's subjective but nonetheless you believe is the truth irrespective of that but whether or not your audience wants to hear that mm. it makes that much more difficult mm.
0: that that's so uh, other words yeah sure that i mean that polarization element is uh, is very evident uh, around the world isn't it uh, i mean um um Eric Wishart. I mean, we've seen stories from the US about certain big uh, companies uh, withdrawing funding from universities because of the stance that these, these, the students are, are taking. There were, and there was one particular uh, law firm um, apparently withdrew job offers to three uh, law uh, students because of their support for a letter. Which was uh, supporting the Palestinian cause. So, um, do you feel that um, you know uh, th- this is evidence that, that that free speech, if you like, is under threat? I would say that the argument
2: there is, though, I suppose you could argue that the people that are that were taking exception to, I think it was Harvard University students yeah. issuing, was these were also these were private individuals. It wasn't the state trying to suppress free speech so you could argue that whatever action they wanted to take and not hire people who expressed pro-palestinian sentiments they were expressing their own free speech i mean that's 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 a whole discussion but it's it's, it's true that um i mean i worked in the middle east for four years and when i was editor and chief of afp i spent a lot of time down there and this is a conflict where very clear lines, if you're not for us, you're against us. I mean, that's mm. the basic mm. premise. And so it's, it's extreme, and as, 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 as you said, I mean, it, it, you know, vengeance, fear, I mean, it's historic grievances. But to the extent that we've advised our journalists at AFP against commenting on social media about this conflict, because if you do, and if you're not familiar with the Middle East... Even the slightest post of a photograph, a comment you make, you might think, you know, in Hong Kong, it's 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 fine. You're just expressing an opinion. Um, you're exposing yourself to a torrent of potential online abuse. And in a situation where you're where you have a media organisation with with bureaus in sensitive countries, not necessarily in the Middle East and other countries, a miss, you know, a badly phrased um, social media post can end up with people coming to the journalists' homes or attacking the office, so it's extremely sensitive. Mm -hmm. I shared... We we tend to encourage our journalists just to share posts the AFP uh, social media team have put online, but I shared a, a video report from AFP of... We went back to the site of the rave where all these young people were killed at the rave. Just you know, about a week later, and I shared it and immediately got assailed. Somebody said it was a military site. Israelis soldiers had shot the people, Uh, somebody said AFP just tells lies, so I mean that was just a minor example so it's so, as you said it's just so polarised and and Mm. online the environment is toxic Mm. so Mm. I mean I would certainly advise anybody who wants to post about it, I mean don't be surprised if you if you're subject to online harassment
0: Mm. Yeah, yeah, just thinking about other news organisations as well Uh, uh, Florence Serban uh, um, what do you think about uh, uh, individual journalists, you of social media, I'm, I'm thinking in terms of the BBC. When the the current director general Tim Davy came in, one of the the first things he did was uh, said to uh, said to BBC presenters uh, that I said you're not you're not posting any of your own uh, opinions on social media because it compromises our impartiality. Um, do you, do you think that's sensible? Is that a good way to go?
3: I think it becomes very complicated, right, because no matter where you go, either you have people who uh, uh, will be perceived as being uh, partial, right, and in journalism, we normally don't want to have this, but on the other hand, what happens with all the people who might want to have an opinion and then they get to self-censor themselves, right, because... Whatever they say, no matter uh, where they put the comma in a sentence, uh, one side will believe they are biased, right? So I think it takes Mm -hmm. us back to a very, very complicated discussion in uh, journalism. Uh, which is only b- b- becoming even more complicated on social media when it comes to objectivity and when it comes to impartiality, right? Uh, I think it's very, very difficult to navigate this, especially in a postmodern interpretative society where uh, you have some people who uh, believe that uh, objectivity is pretty much impossible, right? Uh, because every day is a selection of stories. We imply uh, that uh, we are partial, but at the end of the day, how can you select something how can you give weight by placing something on the front page or start uh, a news journal with it and uh, and then still be uh, objective it's it's very difficult to uh, to do this kind of thing so uh, i think we need to to draw a line between what happens with uh, individuals and journalists whether they work for the sports section of a magazine or whether they are uh, front uh they are also human beings right and they are entitled to have uh, opinions and they are entitled to to say something but obviously as they're representing a, a, a journalistic entity they might get their uh, their uh, 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 company in trouble as well and that's very very unfortunate mm. uh,
1: and i actually want to go back to the polarization part because i think uh, social media is actually taking a very big role on this topic uh as like instagram facebook or like even google it's just uh, sharing or suggesting something related to our browser, like the uh, uh, history we watched, uh, uh, what we, we like, or our stand. So it's like giving us a very big bias. But uh, in this situation, what do you guys think? Like, How can we do something to change, for example, the big data collection methods or how to be neutral in this situation?
0: Hmm. Perhaps, uh, uh, James Dorsey, can we put that to you?
4: OK, well, um, I think there are a number of issues here. And, some of, and these, these were issues in another form prior to the rise of social media. And, and that is that what you as a journalist can do, or what you're obliged to do, is uh, be as fair and accurate as you can.
0: Uh,
4: there is no objectivity. And in a sense, there's no neutrality. It's really quite simple. You and I see a traffic accident, uh, and we both see two different accidents, because we've seen it from two different angles. And both of those versions of that traffic accident are accurate.
0: Yeah, but um, you, you, you can try to be objective though, can't you? You can uh, you can uh, ask as well, as, m- as many questions do is as you what can you and do is, yeah.
4: what you do is you make sure that all voice one that you've really double checked your information mm. but two mm. that you've uh, made sure that all parties to the conflict are represented in what you write. You've spoken to everybody. Mm. And that's become a lot more difficult, you know, because uh, uh, a lot of news organizations today will not put a Hamas spokesman on the air Mm -hmm. where they should.
0: Mm. Okay, uh, I've got. Yeah. Uh, um, so, no. Sorry to interrupt. Uh, uh, d- d- did you want to finish? I've got a comment from a listener, but did you want to finish first? Please, no,
4: no, please go ahead. Please
0: go ahead. This is from listener Mike. Says uh, to find a objective truth, one must discuss both sides. Something that seems to be lacking. A quote from Robert Kennedy: uh, "When in history has it been the good guy wants to censor speech?" Um, <clears throat> unquote. Time has proven uh, many so-called conspiracy theories a convenient truth. Um, um, Eric Wishart, uh, you, being a news agency, uh, you don't have a, you don't um, push an editorial line. You're just there to provide uh, facts uh, for for your clients, um, other media organisations. Yes, um, I mean it is a bit of a philosophical question, obviously. But um, I mean, is it possible to achieve you know objective truth? I mean, excuse me, I think there's
2: a difference between your personal objectivity. I mean, you can have an opinion, obviously, as an individual, but I think you can also have objective methods of of news gathering, which does involve trying to get as much information as as possible. But I think you get to a point, and, you know, the old, it's a cliché, but it's true that the first victim of a war is the truth. Mm -hmm. So um, you're also caught up in a propaganda war, so i mean i think it was exemplified last week by the um the attack on the well, at least the strike on the hospital mm. when mm. you know the israelis said it was a misfired rocket i think from islamic jihad not from hamas and of course hamas and many other people said it was an, an israeli strike and um you know how do you verify that i think one thing we've we've I think one, it, it, it depends how you present it as well. You know, if you're in a situation, I think sometimes it has to be a he said, she said kind of presentation if you mm. can't independently verify it. So I think you have to say, I think you have to put the source first. Don't say, you know, the Israelis struck a hospital, Hamas said, or vice versa, or you know. Islamic Jihad mm. rocket hit a hospital. Israel mm. said. I think mm. you have to say, you know, Hamas said this, Israel said that, and we couldn't independently verify it. Mm. So I think you have mm. to. You, you have to. And so, um, but I mean, our whole um, our mission statement is to provide impartial, balanced coverage. Um, but obviously, in war situations, it's, it's, it's very difficult. That's why you have to step. Step back. We've um I've been working very closely with our editor-in-chief in Paris and the and the team in um in the Middle East in our Middle East headquarters in the and also the Jerusalem Bureau on on trying to find the right language. And I can throw a a good discussion point in and I would like to hear what my, my two fellow panelists have to say about it. We like the BBC, like AP, like Reuters we don't label organisations as terrorist organisations. right? Organizations, right. right. Yeah. And, um, of course, then you get, how can you not call X, Y, Z a terrorist organisation? Sure. Yeah. We certainly, if you read our coverage, you'll certainly see the word terrorist because mm. we quote people calling other people, people terrorists. Yeah. Yeah. We will say that Hamas is designated by the United States, Britain, the, the UN, U and, and yes. Israel as a yeah. terrorist organisation. But as a news agency, we're not in the business of attaching labels we will describe in graphic detail what they did what happened in in israel which was horrific um but this is also not a rule that was created for hamas it's it's a, it, you know it's a long standing rule sure. um and okay. governments okay. will label all kinds of organisations terrorists. Yeah. Eric, so, Eric yeah.
0: I'm sorry to interrupt you sure. there, but uh, yeah, that is, a, that is a topic for uh, discussion. In, in a couple of minutes we've got to take a short break for a news summary now, um, followed by a couple of announcements, but we'll be back uh, shortly. Quick look at the weather. Uh, sunny periods today, top temperature around 30 degrees, uh, moderate east to uh, northeasterly winds. Uh, the outlook uh, mainly fine in the next couple of days. It's currently 26 degrees, humidity 70 with a new summary, here's Haley Yip.
1: The United States has confirmed that Foreign Minister Wang Yi will travel to Washington later this week for high level meetings. U.S. officials said they hope the talks will maintain open channels of communication and reduce tension between the two countries. U.S. officials said Mr. Wang would also discuss a potential visit by President Xi Jinping. The governor of California, Gavin Newsom, says the U.S. state will continue to be a partner with China in tackling climate change. Mr. Newsom said his state's position won't change regardless of what happens in next year's presidential election in the U.S. And Hamas militants in Gaza have released two elderly female hostages seized during the group's deadly rampage through southern Israel earlier this month. It says the move follows mediation efforts by Qatar and Egypt. We'll have more news for you at 10 o'clock. Come on,
2: everyone! The ninth Hong Kong Games is calling for athletes for eight sports events. What's new this time are three-on-three basketball and different age groups for athletics, badminton, swimming, table
3: tennis, and tennis. Come and join the district athlete selections and show us your potential. Let's follow Cheering Larry and cheer for the athletes.
2: Our city, our games. Visit HongKongGames.hk for more. Improving district administration and restructuring district councils matter to the well-being and good living of us all and are essential to the good governance of Hong Kong. The nomination period of the district council's election is from October 17th to 30th. For those who are patriotic and have an affection for Hong Kong and aspire to serve the community, please participate. Cast your vote at DC election on December 10th for a better community.
1: You're listening to Backchat. Call us on 23388 266 and have your say.
0: And welcome back to Backchat with Kaha and me, Jim Gould. And we're going to uh, continue our main discussion this morning about the Israel-Gaza conflict and the media coverage and social media. We have uh, with us Eric Wishart, Standards and Ethics Editor at the news agency Agence France-Presse, uh, James Dorsey, Adjunct Senior Fellow at the S. Uh, Rajaratnam School of International Studies at Nanyang Technological University in Singapore, and uh, Florin Serban. a lecturer at the Department of Communication Studies at the... Hong Kong Baptist uh, University. Um, Eric, just before the break, uh, you're talking about uh, use of the term uh, terrorist by various different media organisations. There's been a great deal of uh, interest uh, in this um, since this latest conflict uh, broke out. As I'm I'm sure you're aware, and lots of debate uh, in the UK, the BBC have come in for a lot of uh, um, uh, 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 official criticism from uh, from the government for not using that term. So... um, I, I, I guess uh, part of the problem is that uh, alternative uh, means of describing such uh, people or organisations all, all, all s- always seems kind of inadequate, don't they? I mean, we call Hamas gunmen militants,
2: mm-hmm. um, you know, uh, but we also don't tell, call politicians liars when we fact-check mm-hmm. and we find them, you know, we mm-hmm. don't call... Uh, people, dictators, we don't call military governments regimes. I mean, news agencies, I mean, it's, this might sound a bit silly, but a news agency like AFP doesn't have an opinion. So, um, but I think we put the facts out there and let people decide. And, you know, the act of, um, you know, if you fly planes into the World Trade Centre and kill 3,000 people, I mean, does... Uh, one interest? One thing that really interests me about the whole debate is... Why are people so obsessed by that label? I mean, the, the, to me, the, the the facts speak for themselves. So it's not by not branding an organisation a terrorist organisation. Silly doesn't mean you're condoning their actions. I mean, if you describe what they do, it's pretty self sure. self evident. Sure. But it's a it's a it's what we would call a hot hot button issue. And I know and. Yeah. BBC, John Simpson came under a lot of... The World uh, Affairs uh, editor. Yeah, mm. came mm. under a lot of attack because he wrote a piece uh, uh, justifying the BBC's decision not to, to call any mm. kind of organisation, which of course predates this conflict, a terrorist organisation. Mm. Uh, Florence Serban, what do you think?
3: I believe that's uh, uh, basically a, a non issue at the end of the day because uh, ultimately those who are really against this kind of non labeling uh, they will just find another uh, another issue to pick up on right um, I believe uh, it's not uh, the core of uh, of what uh, news agencies are doing and what uh, journalistic entities are uh, are in charge of. I believe the biggest problem is that we have social media users that are uh, uh, feeling the need to just have an opinion over pretty much everything that legacy media or professional journalists are uh, uh, doing and have been doing for a very long time. Uh, at the end of the day based on my uh, understanding of uh, uh, of this kind of views, um, once they uh, see it, once we move on to another topic, uh, they will see something else problematic. And I think that's the core issue, what gives people this certainty uh, to come up against uh, uh, people who've been doing their job for a very long time. Uh,
0: James Dorsey. James
4: um- Dorsey couple of things Uh, first of all i want to second what eric said about the use of the word terrorist yeah i actually wrote uh, a column a decade ago about why one shouldn't use the word terrorist Um, but that leads me to another point and that is of the middle east the israeli-palestinian conflict particularly middle east in general is one of its major distinctions is that it's always been a battle of language also. Both sides have always wanted to impose uh, language on journalists, whatever. And that's just become much more charged at the moment with the Gaza war. The other aspect that I want to want to add is there's a psychological element here that I've found. I I write a syndicated column, and I've done so for the last 13 years. And I tend to answer every comment that I get with very few exceptions. And the, the, psycholo- the psychology of those, of those exchanges is often quite fascinating. And the people you're, uh, you're uh, exchanging views with fall into two categories. One category is there's no, there's no sense in the discussion. It's a dialogue of the death.
0: They've already the other made category, up their minds. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
4: The other category are people who think they can just simply shoot out something into the void and there's no consequence, there's no response. And the moment you give them a response, a measured response, uh, they have a sense of being taken serious. And that dialogue may end or may end with agreeing to disagree, but it does create a dialogue and it changes the atmosphere.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, uh, how do you think the, uh, the mainstream media uh, has performed in its coverage of the conflict uh, so far? Um, I mean, we've heard how difficult it can be to to verify things on the ground uh, eric Wishart mentioned the uh, the explosion at the hospital uh, in gaza a few days ago i see that the the new york times has put out something of a, a, or, well it's a sort of quasi apology about its uh, its initial reporting of that incident um, um what do you think what, what's how how would you rate the mainstream media coverage so far
4: I think it, you know, it runs the gamut. It, 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 I think you've got to got to judge it really on a case by case basis. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, in the case of s- MSNBC, they took for for a period of time they took their Muslim presenters off the air. Mm-hmm. Um, um, you know, s- s- which is which is remarkable. It, you know, it really deprives. Uh, the audience of, of the ability to, to basically form their own opinion and that's the purpose of the exercise. Um, so I really think it's mixed. Some mainstream media have done better than others.
1: Mm. Yeah, uh, 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 according to what you just said about uh, actually like labeling or like uh, sharing the information actually is because uh, the people think uploading the uh, photos or video on the social media is like no consequence or no responsibility afterwards. So I would like to like pass the um, a question to Eric and to ask about, like for example, the uh, is there any potential problem of uh, citizen journalism? You know, now so they, all, all of us or the people in, in Gaza, in Israel, can just take the photo and then upload it online and then to make some... Misleading or the accurate scenes of that situation is it like there is any potential problem of everyone can be a journalist
2: I mean it worked in the Arab Spring <clears throat> um because it was uh, a unique situation it was quite early relatively early in the twitter kind of um, era um, two thousand eleven so um and the Syrian civil war, a lot of the coverage, because it was too dangerous to send in independent journalists, was, was mm. of, of, of shelling of Aleppo and places like that, was what you would call citizen journalism, journalism or amateur journalism, just as it was in the Hong Kong protest. A lot of the video was was taken by people just out with their, with their, with their phones. Um, but the problem in this war is you just... I mean, and, you know, if I had a final thing to say to our listeners is, really, um, if you don't know the account sharing the video or or the photo, um, treat it with, with suspicion, check it, and certainly don't just share it. I mean, I mean in this situation, I w- you, you have to go fall back to what you're calling the mainstream established media, not that they don't have their biases. I wouldn't say news agencies do, but newspapers do. And but be very careful on social media. If you if you don't recognize the person that has if you don't follow the person I mean it pops up in Twitter for you you know you I, I don't know where <coughs> 95% of these videos are coming from who these who's sharing it so I think yeah I think it's your responsibility to choose your sources of information and then instead of just putting yourself out there and just sharing or believing
0: anything that's been fed to you mm-hmm. Florence can I, can I, uh, yeah hello first,
4: yeah can I step in for a yes, second Yes please yes please yeah Yeah, this goes to a really fundamental issue.
0: James Dorsey, yeah.
4: What what the internet did, social media, whatever, is it democratized, which in itself is a positive development. But it also, for a significant segment of media, took away the gatekeeper, which is what the editor of a mainstream uh, media is. And that's been amplified by the fact that basically social media platforms, uh, to a large extent, abrogate themselves of their responsibility. Because at the end of the day, in my view, they're publishers and and therefore need to have a gateway function. And that's what they, in many ways, try and avoid. And I think that's part of where the problem is here.
0: Mm. Oh, oh, there is something
3: missing okay. on social media if yes. i may interrupt please please yeah uh, and that will be mm. the accountability part right if we are comparing uh, news reporting twenty, thirty years ago with what happens now is that in the past we used to have people accountable for, for what they were publishing mm. and yes i totally agree with my colleagues social media platforms today they don't want to be seen as publishers right they just want to say we are hosting the content We are not responsible for it. We are creating an infrastructure where people can come and they can create, they can share. If you look at X and what their mission is, that is not to have a society where we have uh, uh, informed debates. Their mission is to give everyone the power to create and share ideas. Whether those ideas are anchored in reality, in, in something tangible, in something truthful, there's another story, right? And people who are going on social media and spreading, creating resharing right information unfortunately don't they don't get to be held accountable and that's a big big problem of social media today.
0: So what advice do you give to your students in terms of uh, consumption and and, uh, their use of social media?
3: First of all I always encourage them to look closely at what their source is. I am always puzzled when students although they are communication journalism students they say we get our information from social media and I'm always like What's the next step? Because social media is just a rooftop, right? It's just a place, an aggregator of many other uh, uh, accounts, right? What account exactly are you looking for? So I would always go towards, okay, who has some reputation in the game? Who is accountable in in the uh, 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 sharing of information? And I would follow those accounts. And I would check to see whether that company has a history, whether that company was created to days ago, two weeks ago, and so on. I mean, if you don't know exactly where that information is coming from, probably it's not something that you should get into. Mm
0: Okay. All right. Well, uh, thank you very much uh, to uh, all of our guests. Uh, uh, We've uh, come to the end of uh, this part of this morning's programme. Thank you very much to uh, Eric Wishart, Standards and Ethics Editor at uh, Agence France-Presse. Thanks to Florence Serban, who you just heard, who's a lecturer at the Department of Communication Studies at Hong Kong Baptist University. And thanks very much to James Dorsey, Adjunct uh, Senior Fellow at the S. Rajaratnam School of International Studies at Nanyang Technological University in Singapore.
5: 95 years of public service broadcasting. Stay tuned with Hong Kong. Hello, Hong Kong. I'm John Lee, your chief executive. This new year is our time. Time for Hong Kong to break fresh ground and scale new heights we can count on RTHK's team of professionals to keep us abreast of all that's happening in Hong Kong, in the country, and around the world. Working together, we'll build a brighter tomorrow for Hong Kong in this new era, on this new journey. 95 years of public service broadcasting.
0: 95
5: years. Stay, tuned. Stay tuned with Hong Kong.
0: And uh, for the last part uh, of this morning's programme, we're going to turn our attention to the fourth uh, Asian Paragames, uh, which were opened uh, on the Sunday evening in Hangzhou. Uh, the Hong Kong team is there with a squad of around 100 athletes uh, uh, to talk about the games uh, and to look ahead. We're now uh, joined uh, on the line by uh, Cheng King Lung, who's uh, chairman of the Hong Kong Elite Sports Committee. Uh, good morning to you.
5: Good morning, Jim and Ka. Uh,
0: thanks very much uh, for joining us. Uh, so uh, already Hong Kong's uh, uh, picked up a, a few medals, including a, a gold for the swimmer uh, Tang Wai Lok. Uh, um, how, how are things uh, looking to you uh, at the start of uh, this uh, Asian Paragames?
5: Uh, I think it, it was great, um, and uh, I congratulate and congratulate to all the uh, Hong Kong para athletes their outstanding performance uh, in the game. Uh, just on the first day, just like the, the last, I mean the, um, the September Asian game, On the first day, the Hong Kong athlete already already get a gold medal and some medals in the event. It proved that um, our elite program it works. Mm. Uh, it helps our athletes our, um, in Hong Kong to uh, attain a high standards of performance in the international sport um, society, I think.
0: It must be very satisfying to to see that result, uh, um, you know, a, a result of uh, uh, lots of hard work that's gone into the program.
5: Yeah, especially, you know, after the pandemic, actually, it affects many athlete training um, um, in In a, a lot of um, areas including the venues the program um, the ability to to participate in uh, other international events to uh, to enhance the skills and their performance so this uh, event in in Hong Kong uh, demonstrate that uh, they uh, really have their uh, perseverance and and they can um, train themselves in a, a good situation and get a very good result for Hong Kong. That is uh, very encouraging. <laughs> mm. <laughs>
1: yeah, and also because of the, yeah, just like what you said, the pandemic postponed uh, this game and until just like yesterday, we, we, we have this game like yeah. started. So uh, what is uh, the difference between this year, like comparing with the last year or uh, like any special thing we should be like looking forward to in this year?
5: Well, um, I can say that um, po- um, postponing the event to this year is a good move, and uh, because if you compare, uh, when I heard about the news from the athletes when they uh, finished the Tokyo Olympic, you you, you remember, uh, uh, they organized the Tokyo Olympic under the pandemic, which gave a lot of burden, not only to the organizer but actually to the athlete. You know. Mm. Um, a lot of uh, quarantine control, oh, yeah. a lot of measure uh, during the game mm. uh, in the last uh, Tokyo Olympics. But this year, uh, including the Hangzhou Asian Games and these uh, Games, uh, we can uh, organize uh, the event in a very, very quite normal situation, which mm. gives a better atmosphere for all the participants, not only the athletes, but also the uh, spectators. Uh, the reporters, the media, and uh, all the audience—something like that. And looking ahead, I think um, sport is uh, will be a major uh, component in Hong Kong society. You can see that um, many people nowadays are very uh, focused on sport event now. More people participate in sport and watch more sport program in Hong Kong right now. I hope the Hong Kong government will continue their efforts in in promoting sport in Hong Kong, making uh, Hong Kong as a very important international sport hub to organize various uh, international sport events in Hong Kong at what we are
0: doing right now. <laughs> yeah, sure. I mean, that's, that's uh, certainly the plan, isn't it? To, uh, to increase Hong Kong's uh, status as an international sports hub. Um, but just um, just before we go further with that, in terms of, uh, in terms of these, uh, these para games going on at the moment, uh, uh, are there any, any particular sports uh, competitors that we uh, should be watching out for as uh, uh, medal hopefuls, if you like, further medal hopefuls? Yeah.
5: Normally, I never never make a guess on who will getting the medal. I don't I want to keep uh, further pressure. Yeah,
0: um, on understand, understand, <laughs> understand. Yeah, but
5: you, you know that. Yeah. Uh, uh, but in Hong Kong, in tradition, uh, we have several sport event that is quite strong, like fencing, swimming,
0: mm-hmm.
5: and like Uh I don't know whether you know you know the the game is like uh, folding the ball to. Uh, get the target I think uh, is quite strong Mm -hmm. in Hong Kong I Mm -hmm. hope uh, our Hong Kong athlete can get uh, Mm -hmm. further good result in this Mm -hmm. area Mm -hmm. but I think uh, I believe that promoting power sport in the region or country uh, can entail or promote uh, numerous positive value that not only benefit the power athletes themselves but also the society as a whole because you know that um, it can foster inclusivity and diversity Mm-hmm. Uh, highlighting the fundamental principle that every individual regardless of their physical and mental abilities have the right to participate in sport i think this is the main point for the power game
0: mm-hmm. yeah I, I, and like like you say uh hong kong did uh did well uh uh <clears throat> yeah in the asian games in 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 swimming in fencing um um so so that's we're we're pretty strong in those areas uh, in the Paragames yeah. as well. You would say, yeah, mm. yeah, mm. yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. okay. H- uh, how about um, how about facilities for for uh, people who uh, compete in the para games? Uh the, the you know the f- facilities here in uh, in Hong Kong.
5: Well, I can say that um, I think uh, the Hong Kong government is doing some research on uh, in this area, not only to provide. Uh, Sports facility for Parasport, um, but also sports facility for uh, the Hong Kong people for our elite athletes. But, you know, really, Hong Kong is a really small places that we can't hold all the venue in Hong Kong. But I think there is a big hope that we should uh, work together with the Greater Bay Area, because, mm-hmm. you know, that the Greater Bay Area plan is, uh, is uh, moving fast and the transportation nowadays is very easy. Mm. How we can uh, work together to provide more uh, international standard uh, venue for our athletes and for our people in Hong Kong to enjoy sport. I think is and a, a also a, a major area that we have to study mm. in the future. How we can use more, more space to provide more sport venue. But because you know, nowadays still arguing that Hong Kong is not enough uh, residential household for for yes, our people, and yeah. then you 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 are actually uh, competing with the venue, and then it's is not really possible. But we yeah. have to study it and try to squeeze more uh, possible uh, venues to to accommodate our sport venue. I think the government know that, but the, how to do it is uh, what we have to do. We we have to find more experts to to do some
0: study
1: in the future, mm. and I also want to know about which uh, city or which country do you think the, uh, is the biggest competitor to Hong Kong team?
5: It's no doubt It's uh, our mother uh, home country yes. China. Yes, yes, yeah,
0: yeah. They've they've got about think... four hundred and forty uh, athletes at the games. A very big team. Yeah,
5: yeah. but. But I think I think it also showcased that uh, now China is uh, really a loving and caring society. Now mm. you can see that uh, because you have to give support to those para athletes. It's not an easy task, and they uh, quite uh, uh, emphasize uh, they, they treasure uh, the para sport athletes uh, in in China right now. And you can see that China athletes in the international competition they they. They have really good performance uh which show that the support from the society is enough can say that
0: mm. 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 and and um Sure. So, um, yeah, like you say, there's always that competition for land, competition for space. But uh, it's important for our competitors uh, to go outside of Hong Kong, isn't it? To get experience of uh, international competition. So what do you think our our team, uh, how important is this going to be for, you know, just their experience of doing that?
5: well i think uh right now um i, I don't know whether uh, our, our uh, Hong Kong people know that uh, uh we, in hong kong we have a uh u d sports supporting program uh mm-hmm. in recent year we have uh launched this program uh including power sport athlete which is a good move and, and i think um through this uh sports supporting program more power athletes can uh gain support from from this uh funding from this grant and improve further in in the futures. So I think from um from resources, I think uh right now we are moving into this direction. And through the support from various uh uh charity organization or charity fund like the Jockey Cup uh charity fund uh, we will have a lot of support to our Hong Kong athlete. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: Great. Okay. Well, uh, let's uh, uh, look forward to um, uh, further development uh, among uh, Hong Kong athletes uh, and uh, para athletes. Um, thank you yeah. very much for joining us uh, on this morning's program. That was uh, Chen King Lung, who's uh, chairman of the Hong Kong Elite Sports Committee. I'd like to uh, thank our listeners and thank our co-presenter for today, Carha. Thank you, Car. Thank you. And uh, thanks to our producer, Raphael, and. NG Engineer James. Um, stay with us because uh, in a moment uh, coming up, uh, we will have uh, a new summary um, followed uh, by a brunch with Sardia.